Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. If you have a lead foot, this is your warning. The province is upgrading red light cameras to catch speeders, too. The new technology will be used at BC's most crash prone intersections. Ted Chernecki explains why critics are calling the changes Photo Radar 2.0. Call them what you like, just not Photo Radar. There are about 140 of these red light cameras already installed throughout BC at high-risk intersections. Today, the province announced it wants to upgrade many of them so they not only record red light runners, but also the speed motorists are at as they enter the intersections. And they'll be operational 24-7 in many cases. Is this bringing back of the red light cameras just another way to bring in photo radar? No, it's not photo radar. Red light cameras have been functioning in the province, uh, or partially functioning in the province for quite some time. It was the NDP way back 22 years ago who introduced those unmarked vans that started taking pictures of speeding motorists. Photo radar was hugely unpopular and the Liberals successfully campaigned against them and killed the program in 2001. Fast forward 17 years and a new New Democratic government. Photo radar 2.0 is uh, coming to us sooner than we thought it would be. Uh, disappointed that the provincial government is going ahead with it and incredulous that Mike Farnworth is trying to tell us that this is not photo radar. It is photo radar. Photo radar is a cash grab and it's all about the money. Who could argue against stopping red light runners? But today the government wouldn't say what its threshold would be for triggering a speeding or red light ticket. Critics say in other jurisdictions there has been this so-called threshold creep to generate more revenue. It's a good thing because red light runners do cause crashes. So what happens in some cases, and you can see this in places like Edmonton, the thresholds are actually reduced. So in the case of Edmonton, they've reduced the uh, amount over the speed limit that people can go and just crank those down so their revenue hasn't dropped. It's kept going. In fact, in some cases it's kept going up. The province has yet to determine how many of the existing red light cameras will enforce speed limits, but it does say you could get a speeding ticket even running a green light. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Alberta Premier Rachel Notley is upping the ante today in the Trans Mountain dispute. During her throne speech, Notley said all options are on the table and they could include blocking oil and gas shipments. Keith Baldry joins us now from Victoria with more on this pretty tough talk, Keith. Yeah, quite the salvo shot across the bow of the B.C. government. And I think unexpected here at the legislature, I, th I think the government people we talked to were uh, quite shook up and surprised at this very strong language in a throne speech that talked about former Alberta Premier Peter Lougheed doing the same thing uh, in the 80s in response to the National Energy Program, turning off the taps for the East. Notley very clearly warning B.C. that she will end oil shipments to B.C. or curtail them uh, or cut them in some amount if B.C. Is, continues to fight the Kinder Morgan Pipeline. She had a news conference in Edmonton. We caught up with BC's environment minister who's playing fairly low-key on this one. 
one thing might ultimately turn into uh, the restriction of supply uh, down the road. And there are various ways in which that can be used uh, with various different um, outcomes. And so uh, that's something that you may see legislation to allow us to do this, this session. I see no reason to believe that Alberta is going to take an unfair or unlawful action against British Columbia. We've referred an issue of contention to the courts. We believe that's where legal issues should be determined, and that will play out over time. All right, let's uh, go worst-case scenario here, Keith, mm-hmm. in terms that people can relate to. What could this mean for the price at the pumps? Well, it's interesting. Blair King, who we've had on the news hour from time to time, who's a chemist and a, a blogger on energy issues, uh, he had a, a sort of a, a piece put together in response to Jason Kenney, the other Alberta political leader's threat to also block oil shipments to BC. He points out 60%, 50 to 60% of the, of the f- of fuel consumption in Metro Vancouver comes from the Trans Mountain Pipeline and estimates we'd be looking at a price jump of $2 a litre to perhaps $3 a litre at the pump should Alberta actually curtail oil shipments to the province. All right, let's hope it doesn't get to that. Thanks very much, Keith. Right. Keith Baldry and Victoria. You're being disingenuous and you know it. I said very clearly that anybody who's got a problem with that should let me know. You, you're saying by being silent, you have a problem with us trying to ask questions on behalf of the public. That is Global News reporter Jordan Armstrong trying to get answers about a man at the center of an international controversy and that man's lawyer having none of it. Jaspal Atwal, who was convicted of attempted murder, is embroiled in controversy surrounding the Prime Minister's official tour of India. Today, he addressed the media, reading a prepared statement, but his lawyer's attempt to deny reporters' questions did not go as planned. So this is Mr. Atwal. Facing cameras for the first time, it was Jaspal Atwal's lawyer who did most of the talking at Thursday's press conference. Rishi Gill, quick to say Atwal, and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau are friendly, but that's it. The fact is, Mr. Atwal's not friends with Mr. Trudeau. He's not, uh, you know, substantive friends with any uh, politicians, as, as your question goes. And basically, um, his relationship is professional. We're talking about the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau's... That relationship now in the spotlight. Atwal was convicted of attempted murder in 1986. The trigger man in an assassination attempt against an Indian Minister of State. Raising questions about how he ended up on the invite list to a dinner with Trudeau and other diplomats in India last week, where this picture was taken. Since then, questions have been swirling surrounding Atwal's relationship with the Indian government following allegations... He's a paid informant. If somebody wants to give me a specific example of when he's done this or what evidence they have of this, I'd like to hear it. Does he have friends for it? No, no, no. I've asked, no. I've, I've said to you, do you have a specific example that I can address? Because I'd love to do it. Do you have one? I'm just trying to get a better sense of this. I got a question, which is, and I'm happy to answer. Any questions directed at Atwal were also unwelcomed, even though it was Gill who invited reporters and cameras to attend. Would Mr. Atwal vote for Mr. Trudeau in the future? He's not going to say who's going to vote for him. He can say that... Right there, can he tell us? No, he's not. What was that? I'm asking if he can tell us if he vote for I, I mentioned to a lot of people at the beginning some rules that we were trying to go, and a lot of people said they would respect that. You might not have heard that. Well, did, you, did, you, did, you, did you? He's not going to answer any questions. Did you hear that when, when we started this? I heard it. You, uh, sorry, and I, as I recall that I said if anybody had a problem with that, they should probably leave. You're still here. Anybody who's got a problem this with exchange that, continuing well after the press conference ended. You have a problem with us trying to ask questions on behalf of the public. Your client has a lot of questions have, he needs to answer. Mr. Atwal, Mr. Atwal questions? Answer questions. It's very interesting to me that a reporter would basically, um, uh, basically defraud. He's, he's just going to bully the media? 
Fiery exchanges aside, we still don't know much about the relationship between Atwal and the Indian government, or why he would even want to attend this event, given his criminal history. Those and other questions remain unanswered. Nadia Stork, Global News. Chief political correspondent David Aiken joins us now from Ottawa. David, as we just heard, Atwal is at the center of a major national political story. So besides all the excitement with the lawyer today, we did get his version of events of what happened in India. What was your prime takeaway? Yeah, major national story, major international story. I'll get to that in a second. But a couple of things. Let's remember what Prime Minister Trudeau has been saying in the House of Commons, relying on his national security advisor. The national security advisor says, first of all, that Atwal was somehow in uh, Delhi at that reception because of the Indian government, that the government in India did something to put him there in order to embarrass the Canadian prime minister over the Canadian prime minister's stand on Sikh separatism. Atwal today saying false. Indian government had nothing to do with it. Second, the national security advisor through our prime minister saying that Atwal was meeting frequently with Indian diplomats in Vancouver, meeting with Indian intelligence officers. The suggestion somehow that Atwal was an informant, a spy, and today Atwal's lawyer saying that's not true. So we've got Canada and India relations at stake here, the credibility of our intelligence community. Trudeau says A, today Atwell said B. This is going to be a big story when the politicians come back to town. No doubt it will. Thanks very much, David. Releasing security video helped Vancouver police make an arrest after a violent robbery of a pot shop in Vancouver. It happened back in November, but VPD only released surveillance video of the suspect yesterday. He jumps the counter and ends up assaulting two employees before taking off. Tips from the public led to an arrest of a 21-year-old Chilliwack man last night. He's been released from custody with several conditions pending further investigation and approval of charges. And that is a boat exploding under the Pitt River Bridge this morning, sending thick black smoke into the sky. The explosion and fire catching commuters on the bridge off guard. John Waugh has more on what happened and why it might be very difficult to determine how the fire started. Like really, really try and get farther away. When Dennis Howitt stumbled upon this boat completely ablaze, he knew things were about to go from bad to worse. I was sitting right down there and then... Um I just heard screaming and I looked and the whole boat was on fire. Luckily, a woman believed to be in her 40s heard his warnings, escaping the floating inferno docked under the Pitt River Bridge. She came out of the boat screaming and her hair was like smoldering. So she must have been sleeping and woke up to the fire. The call to first responders coming in at about 8 o'clock Thursday morning. The smoke and explosions could be seen by cars on the bridge deck and passing boats. Reported by a tug on the river. That heard or saw the fire and heard a bunch of large explosions on scene. We found about a 30 to 40 foot fiberglass boat fully involved and uh, also spreading to the dock. Fire crews able to keep the flames at bay, sparing most of the boats in the area. But looking at the damage to this one, it's hard to believe the injuries weren't more severe. All I heard was she has minor burns to various parts of her body, including her hands, and uh, they were somewhat minor in nature, so I don't think it's life-threatening or anything major like that. Witnesses unsure whether a pet that was on the boat survived. She said there was a dog on the boat, but at the point that I was talking to her, it was there was no way you're ever going to get inside and get the dog out. Port Coquitlam Fire says the cause may be hard to determine, with the boat eventually sinking down to the riverbed. Try and get farther away, whatever you can do. For the passerby who happened to be by the pit river, probably saving a life by just a few seconds. 
John Hua, Global News. Family and friends of a 20-year-old man who went missing at Sun Peaks earlier this month are not giving up hope. Today marked day 21 of the search for Ryan Stuka and day two of teams searching for the young man with dogs. Stuka was last seen leaving a party. He was believed to have been heading home. Yesterday was tough um, for us because we thought we'd see something. Um, And when we didn't, it was like have everything we thought about being wrong. Could we have been wrong? And then you go and you curl up in a little ball and you break down and then you wake up again today and say, okay, Ryan entrusted Scott and I to be his parents and we're here and and we don't leave until we find him. They say the search will continue tomorrow. Family of an Iranian-Canadian environmentalist who died under suspicious circumstances in a Tehran prison say Iranian authorities are intimidating and harassing the family. The man's wife and adult sons, all of whom have Canadian citizenship, were boarding a flight to come home from Iran when they say their mother was detained. Our Aaron MacArthur caught up with the men when they landed at YVR. She just wanted us to be safe and on that plane. Arriving in Vancouver, Mehran and Raman Saeed Amami immediately calling on the Iranian government to release their mother and reunite their family. This chaotic ordeal starting with our father's unexpected arrest, the raiding of our home, and our father's subsequent death, followed by smear campaigns, harassment and threats, has only been intensified now that the authorities have not allowed our mom to leave the country. The brothers were in Tehran, along with their mother, dealing with the death of their father, Kavis Syed Imami, the environmentalist arrested by the Iranian regime under pretenses he was a spy. He was later found dead inside his prison cell. Officials immediately saying the man took his own life in light of mounting evidence against him. Trying to leave the country yesterday, the two sons were allowed to depart, but Maryam Mobani, their mother, was detained and her Iranian passport seized. We will not be silenced, and we will share our story with the hope that fellow Iranians and Canadians will also speak up. The Canadian government is working publicly to release the 55-year-old dual citizen. Foreign Affairs Minister Christian Freeland has been in contact with her directly. But without diplomatic relations between Iran and Canada, there are few options to bring her home. Our minister has requested to speak directly with Minister Zarif, the Iranian uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs. So uh, we're going to explore all options. The two brothers say their mom is safe, staying with friends under constant supervision for fear she will be snatched away. She said, I just want you guys to be safe and away from this horrible place. And no matter what happens to me, don't ever come back. Along with the Canadian government, the family will continue to push for their mother's release. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. But first, a global exclusive follow-up to the story of an alleged romantic con man who police believe may have left a string of victims behind. One woman came forward to tell Global News how the smooth-talking suspect swindled her out of tens of thousands of dollars. He has such a strong ability, made the person to feel loved. This is Sarah. We've changed her name and disguised her voice to protect her identity. She thought she was going to marry this man, Reza Moenian, a 37-year-old Maple Ridge man. They met through a mutual friend in October of 2016. He uh, called me after that and then another um, few calls from him. By December 2016, he flooded her with texts convincing Sarah he was deeply in love with her. The messages would read, Good night, my love. 
I love you so much. I can't sleep all day and all night. I'm dreaming about you. Moenian told her he had a construction business and was a millionaire, that together they could grow the business, but he needed her help. She gave him her personal information. He went online to apply for up to 20 credit cards. The way that he mentioned the business, it made sense for me. Oh, wow, he's right. Seven months into the intense relationship, it was suddenly over. Moenian leaving Sarah with $100,000 of debt. And he started threatening me. You're harassing me, don't call me again. I don't know you at all. He completely denied that he doesn't know me at all. Sarah went to police. Moenian is accused of using a dating referral service and online sites to meet his victims. So far, he's been charged with two counts of fraud over five grand, among other charges. They will go after whatever weaknesses or emotional keys any particular victim might have. Sarah has declared bankruptcy and is now unable to bring her family to Canada. She offers this advice to others. Do not jump to relation right away. Do not trust them. Reza Moenian is in custody and back in court next week. Police say more potential victims are coming forward. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Tax season is here and there are some changes this year in the way thousands of Canadians will file their tax and benefit returns. Our consumer reporter Andrew is here with some new details, and Yeah, some details um, to help file because everything changes every year, as That's we right. know. Thanks, Chris. Although the April 30th deadline to file your income tax return is more than a month away, there are some changes to be aware of. The Canada Revenue Agency is trying to make the process of tax filing easier, while the Liberal government has tweaked some tax breaks. If you care for an ailing family member, three previously existing tax breaks, the infirm dependent, caregiver, and family caregiver credit, have been consolidated into the new Canada Caregiver Credit. Nurse practitioners have now been added to the list of medical practitioners qualified to certify Canadians living with a disability for the disability tax credit. And Canadians may now be able to claim some of the costs of expensive fertility treatments through the medical expenses tax credit. The change is retroactive, so if you've paid for procedures like in vitro fertilization in the last 10 years, you can refile your taxes to include Nearly 1 million Canadians will be eligible to phone their taxes in with the new File My Return automated service. It's designed for people on low or fixed incomes with a simple return. And finally, if you're old school and file your return on paper, the CRA will send you all the forms by mail so you don't have to call to request them or pick them up in person anymore. We usually recommend that if someone is filing a tax return by paper, do it if you owe them money, not if you're waiting for a refund, because it will delay your refund a little bit, especially if you're hoping to get a nice refund that'll help with other expenses that you might have coming up. Now, typically, it takes two weeks to get your refund if you file your return online and up to eight weeks if you go the old-fashioned mail route. If you owe money, you'll want to make that April 30th deadline to avoid a late filing penalty and daily interest charges. And if you have a Consumer Matter for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, got that date circled on the calendar. Thanks very much, Jan. A Victoria veterinarian is in the running tonight for a big national prize. As Kylie Stanton reports, if she wins, she plans to use the money to expand her program of providing free care to the pets of people who otherwise couldn't afford it. Renee with Mojo, 
There's a method to this madness that starts with an early lineup, then registration, before finally getting in for that coveted appointment. So we're thinking she's about 12 pounds or so? Once a month, these veterinarians volunteer their time, offering free care to cats and dogs of homeless and low-income pet owners. It's been helpful not having a lot of cash, because vets, well, they're expensive. Let me get a stethoscope, Kitty. Dr. Jane Vermeulen recognized this need nearly a decade ago. And I wanted to help out. She created Vets for Pets, the first accredited practice in the province that's exclusively free, starting out slowly until word spread. At our max, we were seeing over 100 pets in a two-hour time period. And now the program is getting national attention. My name is Dr. Jane Vermeulen, and I am the founder of Vets for Pets Victoria. Vermeulen has been honoured as one of L'Oreal Paris Canada's Women of Worth, an annual campaign recognising those who selflessly volunteer their time to serve their communities, awarding them with a $10,000 grant. It's the largest donation of funds we've ever received. So not only is it sustainable, we know that there are areas on Vancouver Island like Nanaimo that want to have something similar. We can now help them out financially. It's news many here have been waiting years for. It's just going to be so helpful. We're always knocking on doors and trying to get stuff donated and stuff like that. So this means that maybe less groveling and more, uh, you know, doing more veterinary work. But it's these pet owners who are beyond grateful, knowing their furry friends will be cared for into the foreseeable future. That's really good to hear. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. A mother in Bremerton, Washington, takes matters into her own hands when a man tries to steal her truck. Unfortunately for the would-be thief, her two-year-old child is in the vehicle and her maternal instinct kicks into high gear. Despite being punched repeatedly in the face, she wins the battle for control of the truck and the thief jumps out and runs off. He was caught a short time later. Well, as expected, Donald Trump today announced major new protectionist tariffs on steel and aluminum imports. And to the relief of producers in this country, his advisors appear to have convinced him to exempt Canada and Mexico, at least for now. After days of confusion, today President Trump made his new tariff plan official, flanked by steel and aluminum workers. He says the plan will help. A strong steel and aluminum industry are vital to our national security. Absolutely vital. Steel is steel. You don't have steel, you don't have a country. The president says tariffs, which are taxes on imports, are necessary to counter cheap goods from countries like China. The plan will impose 25% tariffs on steel and 10% on aluminum. Canada, the biggest supplier of steel and aluminum to the U.S., and Mexico will be exempt as those countries renegotiate NAFTA with the United States. Mr. Trump indicating other countries could also be spared, but stressing American workers come first. The workers who poured their souls into building this great nation were betrayed. But that betrayal is now over. I'm delivering on a promise I made during the campaign, and I've been making it for a good part of my life. But tonight, opposition from many top Republicans who warn it could spark a trade war. I'm just not a fan of broad-based, across-the-board tariffs. You'll have a lot of collateral damage, not just consumers, um, but businesses. And the tariff plan has also split the White House. While proponents celebrated today, top economic advisor Gary Cohn resigned over the issue. Today, the president singling him out during his final cabinet meeting. He's going to go out and make another couple of hundred million, and then, <laughs> then he's going to maybe come back. 
he might come back, yep. right? We'll be here. Absolutely. The plan set to take effect in 15 days. Kristen Welker, NBC News, the White House. Nearly two weeks after an explosion on a Mexican ferry injured 26 people, Ottawa has issued a travel warning for Playa del Carmen on the country's east coast. Turns out it was intentional. Undetonated explosives were found on another ferry last week. And the U.S. Embassy in Mexico City now says it's received information about a security threat. It's not saying exactly what the threat is, but the U.S. has closed its consular agency and barred its employees from traveling to the area. The Bank of Canada marking International Women's Day with an historic unveiling. A big cheer for the new $10 bill featuring Viola Desmond, unveiled today by her sister. Desmond was a civil rights pioneer who was jailed in 1946 for refusing to give up her seat in the whites-only section of a Nova Scotia movie theater. She's the first black person and the first woman other than the Queen to appear on a Canadian banknote alone. In Health Matters tonight, a new study is shedding some light on the gender gap when it comes to living organ donors. Linda Aylesworth reports on the reasons women are more likely to donate than men. It's been five years since Megan Owen Evans saved a life by donating one of her kidneys anonymously to an absolute stranger. I guess I felt like, you know, if somebody's drowning, you don't know who they are. You're going to do what you can to help them. In Canada, 60% of living kidney donors are women, a statistic that got Dr. Jag Gill at St. Paul's Hospital wondering, why don't men donate as often? So we looked south of the border to the U.S., where the data was more plentiful. Uh, living donation is something that's been really instrumental to help patients get access to kidney transplantation worldwide. Um, but in the last decade, there has been a decline, uh, most dominantly in the U.S., but we've seen it in Canada as well. Women have long donated organs more than men, but the recent decline was because even fewer men were stepping up, especially those in lower income groups. Financial barriers to donation are quite critical, uh, and it's, you know, can easily cost several thousand dollars out of pocket for someone to just donate their kidney. It's a problem that can apply on both sides of the border. And I had a sickness plan that covered my missed time from work, but had I not, that's a, a lot of income for the average person to be able to pass up. As for how cost might explain the situation, fact is, not only do men tend to make higher wages than women, they're often the primary breadwinners. And so... The onus may fall on the woman over the man uh, because it's a bigger financial burden for the man to take that donation process under play. Dr. Gill thinks it's high time something was done about it, if not for humanitarian reasons, then because a person waiting for a kidney transplant costs the health care system $50,000 a year versus $20,000 post-transplant. If someone's going to donate their kidney, they shouldn't have to spend a single penny out of pocket to do that. We don't have a lot of modern-day heroes, but living kidney donors unquestionably are modern-day heroes. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. A mysterious sight at dozens of McDonald's restaurants across the U.S. coming up right after the forecast. We'll check in with Christy Gordon right now. And yeah, a little soggy today, but some yes. improvement is on the way.
Yes, absolutely. Happy International Women's Day to everyone out there, by the way. Yes, a soggy one, that's for sure, Chris. But the good news is and we saw a ton of snow on the local mountains right across the province today. But certainly the local mountains, fresh powder. This was obviously taken earlier uh, when it was brighter so I could show you the snow that was uh, falling in that area. Now, we are expecting very windy conditions by about 10 o'clock. You can expect them to pick up and it will continue into the early morning hours. Not warning criteria, but 30 to 60 kilometer an hour winds all the way along the street of Georgia, especially down to areas like Vancouver, Tawasin, over towards Saturno Island and extending over into Abbotsford as well. But as Chris mentioned, yes, lots to look forward to. Tomorrow will be a transition day. We'll still see some cloud cover, but by Saturday, expect the sun and the warmth to really kick in. And we're going to hold that through Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, but it comes with a risk. I thought I would show you our weather window early on. This is a 100-mile house. We've had reports of two roofs collapsing in the Nacusp area. Uh, the city hall in Rosslyn has had a roof collapse. Uh, over 500 centimeters of snow has fallen in some areas throughout the year. Uh, that's 16 feet, and you can see how much snow is out there. So, with a big warm-up, that's not necessarily good news when we have it so quickly. We could see some localized flooding, certainly slushy conditions with that daytime warmth and the massive snowpack starting to melt. And then overnight temperatures will be well below zero. So that will refreeze overnight and it will be very icy as well. So that's what we'll be contending with over the next couple of days. That's weekend through Wednesday that we'll see that warmth. Uh, I know many people will be enjoying it, but it could cause uh, tough conditions. So we will see rain along the north coast. Inland regions, a clearing trend on the way for you tomorrow. Still a chance of flurries or showers across these regions. Significant snow expected tonight on the Coquihalla and Allison Pass, along with uh, uh, Kootenai Pass along Highway 3. For our region, some cloud cover tomorrow. As I mentioned, tomorrow's sort of our transition day, but the weekend looking phenomenal right through into the mid part of next week. Temperatures will soar, potentially record-breaking. We'll uh, update you on that, and don't forget, we change our clocks forward on Sunday. Some birthdays for you. Georgette Woods celebrating 100 years, and Martha Guff also 100 years, and I'll leave you with one last thing, so, uh, Chris. Uh, Elaine Elaine and Howard Jorney celebrating 77 years. And don't forget, we're excited to be changing birthdays and anniversaries over to the noon show. Mark is excited to do that March 19th. No doubt he is. Okay, thanks very much, Christy. Fast food giant McDonald's has chosen an imaginative way to mark International Women's Day, although not everyone is impressed. The chain flipping its famous Golden Arches logo at about 100 of its restaurants across the U.S. McDonald's says it wants to celebrate the women who have chosen the company to be part of their story. McDonald's says 62% of its U.S. workers and 6 out of 10 managers are women. Critics, though, are taking to social media to call it an empty gesture, saying McDonald's would be better off paying its women and men a living wage. A question we've asked ourselves too often lately, who are we going to cheer for in the NHL playoffs? Well, um, if you want to cheer for a Canadian team, you might only have two choices. Mm-hmm. There's a great possibility it'll just be Toronto and Winnipeg representing the home and native land in the playoffs. Now, I know there's a lot of you out there who cannot bring themselves to ever cheer for the Maple Leafs, even though they are a fun team to watch. You have to admit that. So maybe you'd be more happy giving your love to the Jets, who tonight are in New Jersey. Patrick Liney on a roll. Nick Ehlers, they do have a lot of offensive firepower. It'd be nice if Shifley was more healthy. But Lane is scoring 3-2 Winnipeg, leading New Jersey 
in the third period. Megan Augusta is one of the most decorated Canadian Olympians ever. Three gold medals and a silver during her career on Canada's women's hockey team, and she is hoping to go to another Olympics in four years. But between then and now, she'll go back to work for the Vancouver Police Department. Megan Augusta didn't take a leave of absence from the Vancouver Police Department to win an Olympic silver medal, but that's what happened after Canada's women lost a shootout thriller to the Americans in Pyeongchang just two weeks ago. Augusta, who won gold in the three previous Olympics for Canada, was in shock after the game, but as a veteran, felt she had to address her teammates. I was one of the last ones to come in and everybody was sitting in their stall and it was like you could hear a pin drop and you know I, I went and put my helmet down and I went and I hugged every single girl and then I sat in my stall and I had tears and and I basically looked at everybody and I said you know what ladies we should be proud of ourselves we should be proud of ourselves with how we work the character in this room the resilience we had. This was a transition year for the Canadian women's team. Nine players on the roster were competing in their first Olympics. But Augusta felt a closeness with this group she'd never experienced before, and that's what she'll remember the most. We did everything together. Um, we wanted, you know, each other to succeed, and you know that's a team. You want to be able to, you know, push the person to your left and to your right to be at their very best. You know, whether they're better than you or not, for our team to be successful. And I thought we did that all year, and that's why I think this defeat and losing that gold medal is is even harder because of what we had. Constable Megan Augusta. Of course, she also wears a different uniform, that of the Vancouver Police Department. She's been with the VPD since 2014. She always wanted to be in law enforcement, and in a way, it's made her a better hockey player. Going into these different calls and, and knowing that you, you have that you know, winning mentality um, you know, allowed me to go through this year and just play free and, and have fun because um, you know, that's what it's all about, and that's when I played my very best. There's Constable Augusta. In front, feeds it Marie-Philippe. Augusta returns to the VPD in May, but she's not done with hockey. She fully plans on being back for a fifth Olympics in 2022. She just goes for everything she wants, which she hopes inspires young kids to do the same. For me, if, if I can inspire somebody to do something special in their lives, then I guess my job is done. Very Delay, Global Sports. Quarterfinals in Langley, boys 4A basketball tournament. You're watching Noah Pastrana from Burnaby South. That's ankle-breaking material. Wow. South pulling a bit of an upset right now against Oak Bay. Riley Cronk here for Oak Bay, but Burnaby South leading late in the game, 72-63. Earlier, speaking of good moves here, Uwe Olagola. For Holy Cross, taking on Semiamu, but Semiamu... A stop and pop here by Alan Page, or Adam Page makes that 83-64 San Yamu wins. Tiger Woods here at the 10th. There he is, Tiger Woods at the Valspar. And here's what we showed you earlier. Behind a tree. That's a great shot. Saved his par because of this, but take another look. Well, that is just incredible concentration. <laughs> that could be, that's a hand wrecker. For a guy who's been hurt, his, yeah, well, they'll give him new clubs, but they can't give him a new hand. That's the problem. <laughs> Best tee shot of the day for him. Bar 317, 18 inches away, made birdie, one under 70. 
And they weren't uh, easy conditions. He's actually tied for eighth. Leader is Corey Connors from Ontario. On the 16th. Let's go! Ow! Four under 67. Adam Hadwin won this tournament last year. Speaking of Canadians, great approach here. Even par 71, so he is tied for 28. Nick Taylor is also in this event, two back of Hadwin. He shot a 73. There you go. Nice shots. Okay, thanks very much, Squire. Here's Jay Durant now, the preview of Global News Tonight at 11. Thank you, Chris. We're following up on the potential impact Alberta's threat to turn off oil taps to B.C. could have on our already sky-high gas prices. Industry experts are weighing in tonight on what it could mean to our bottom line. And Surrey RCMP are asking for help to find a vulnerable missing person. Danny Bayer was last seen Tuesday in the 10300 block of 148th Street. He is visually impaired and uses a cane. If you see him, please contact police. Those stories and the rest of the day's news when you join us tonight at 11, Chris. You got it. Thanks very much, Jay. On this International Women's Day, Squire profiles one of Vancouver's first pioneering businesswomen. That's up next. But first, here's Kasia Badurka with five things to do this weekend. Kasia. Well, save yourself the airfare and experience Hawaii, Alaska, and New York without leaving Vancouver. Fly Over America is the latest virtual ride at Canada Place that'll have you gliding over beautiful landscapes. It's on until April 2nd. Calling all Hogwarts witches and wizards. Relive the magic of Harry Potter on the big screen while enjoying the sounds of the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra. With two shows this weekend, experience Harry Potter in a heightened, unforgettable way at the Orpheum Theatre, Vancouver. If dancing is your preferred art form, we've got that too. The Vancouver International Dance Festival continues to offer up enriching performances, workshops and dance activities at various venues throughout the city. This weekend, shows are happening at the Roundhouse Performance Centre. Considering photography? Saturday, bring your own camera to the Chilliwack Cultural Centre for a beginning photography workshop. Explore basic photography methods of DSLR and point-and-shoot cameras. Registration is required. Monday and Wednesday nights, come out for Snowshoes Social Nights on Grouse Mountain. Meet and mingle with other alpine fitness enthusiasts and get a fantastic workout while you're at it. For more on these, head to globalnews.ca slash five things. This program is brought to you by BCAA. Get a BCAA membership and save with our many partners, plus get the best roadside assistance. Here is today's snow report. More snow falling on most of the mountains during the day and into this evening. Our base at Whistler Blackcomb, 305 centimeters. Grouse at 435, 423 Cypress. A little over 400 centimeter base at Sasquatch. Revelstoke, a base of 264, 216 Manning Park. Powder King, 285, and Mount Washington, 243. Southern Interior, healthy bases everywhere too. 323 centimeters Big White, 266 Silver Star, 230 Sun Peaks, and 295 Apex. It is International Women's Day and so many great stories about the contributions of strong women. Yes, and uh, Bianca Polo is one of those women. She is 90 years old now. <laughs> you wouldn't know it by looking at her and talking with her. She has lots of stories about coming over to Canada and starting a business that's still going on East Hastings. The Bianca Maria Deli has been on East Hastings for 55 years, and it was started by two women named Bianca and Maria, who decided to open their own store after quitting the one they used to work at because they felt the customers weren't getting what they wanted. Anyway, we are out, 
we are looking around, but we don't find anything. And uh, so we decided to start, to try. So you opened the store? We opened the store, yeah. And was it successful right away? Right away. They were so popular in the Italian community that nobody really noticed the rarity of two women opening a store in 1963. Did you kind of think of yourself as a pioneer of no, business? No, we don't think of that time. What do you think we, now? Do you think you're a pioneer? Well, if I think, yes. Bianca's yes. spirit of hard work and perseverance was forged at an early age. Her teenage years were spent in an Italian town, ravaged by World War II, held together by the women that lived there. Uh, we have no men's around. The no old men's was uh, the war only old men's mm -hmm. and women's. Right. So we have to work. Right. Yeah. So the, the, it was the women who had to keep the town going. Yes, sure. After the war, she married Fernando, and he convinced her to immigrate to Canada, to a place called Vancouver. All the people from my place. They, they are in, in, in Ontario and Quebec. That was what we knew of Canada, you see. Uh, Vancouver, where is Vancouver? But we're a lot better off that she found Vancouver. She eventually sold the deli, but continued to work for it for years because the customers wanted to see her there. She doesn't like to admit it, but Bianca Polo is truly a Vancouver legend. When I go there, in Hastings Street, I found people, and they embraced me, yeah. Really? Even now, yeah, yeah, my customers. Yeah. So you, got to Maria. so you were, you're a legend. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> nice so story. Good. So she sold it, and uh, as we said, continued to work there, um, and then finally retired, but uh, yeah. the store still has her and Maria's name. Actually, her name is also Bianca Maria Polo. Oh, so is that right? The original, the other, the other owner, Maria, actually went back to Italy after a few years because she was homesick. So she just took off the Bianca and Maria and just made it Bianca oh, Maria. Well, they okay. save, save money on a yeah. new sign, yeah. which is good. Well, happy International uh, Women's Day to all of the special women in our lives. Mom, mm -hmm. sisters, anybody else you know who's had an impact on you. Uh, and all the great women who work here at Global News putting this show together. The purple you see down at BC Place and at Science World, there are the sales uh, as well, commemorating all of those special women.